You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. It's wonderful to be together today. Uh, if we've not had an opportunity, opportunity to meet, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you and say uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, we are kind of wrapping up a series in the book of Jonah, so we're going to read to the end, to the end of the book today uh, and sort of uh, figure, that out, uh, figure that out. We've been talking about surprising mercy, discovering God's compassion to those who are far from him. That's really what the book is about. It's about God extending his mercy, uh, not only to the city of Nineveh, a pagan people who were quite far from God, uh, but also to his servant, the prophet Jonah, and God's mercy to him we see as we close the book and uh, finish up. Uh, next week we'll do the family worship, uh, which Rob referred to earlier in our next, uh, our next Sunday morning study. We're going to go to the, we tend to go New Testament, Old Testament, so we're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians, so that's the next book we're going to uh, approach. It's one of Paul's letters, so if you want to be reading through that, you can uh, jump onto that uh, and get ready for that in the next few weeks. We'll start that. So today we're going to read the end of the book of Jonah in chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that, turn to page 452, and you'll be able to track with us. And you are um, welcome to take that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that as our gift to you. So last week, uh, we saw how Jonah had reluctantly, reluctantly preached to Nineveh. The people responded in an unprecedented way, and he was upset about it uh, because he didn't want God to show mercy on this cruel people that were enemies of Israel. Uh, so he didn't want to see a national enemy receive God's mercy, and he is angry with God. And God asks him in chapter 4, verse 4, uh, do you do well to be angry? Why are you angry that I had mercy on this people and did not bring destruction to them? Then today's passage begins in verse 5. This is God's holy word. Jonah went out of the city and sat, and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now, if you are new to the Bible, well, even if you're not new to the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is an odd passage, is it not? I mean, this is, uh, if, if uh, as a preacher, if I just pick any passage in the Bible for a Sunday to preach, probably not picking the one about a plant that grows up and dies and then a worm that eats it and a wind and a really pathetic prophet who is sort of wallowing in self-pity. What in the world is going on in this passage. Well, what's happening in this passage is that we see that God is continuing to show uh, mercy to Jonah. Jonah, this passage begins with Jonah going outside the city. So Jonah is angry that God has shown mercy. So it says in verse 5, he goes outside the city, he sits to the east of the city, and he makes a booth for himself there, and he sat in it under the shade till he could see, should see what would happen to the city, what would become of the city. So what's he doing? Well, what's happening is he builds this booth so he is sort of shaded, and he's just going to watch what happens in the city. I mean, implicit here is the idea that Jonah is hoping that God who relented from bringing disaster, that he will relent on his relenting and think better of it and bring disaster. He's watching to see if maybe what he hopes for will indeed happen. Maybe there's a chance God will bring judgment on Nineveh. So rather than going back to Israel, he sits and watches to see what will happen. And God extends mercy to him. He does so, first of all, verse 6, by appointing a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So God appointed. This is a a word that refers to God's sovereignty, that God is in charge, that God is in charge of everything, but he's in charge of these small little things that are happening in this account. We saw in uh, chapter one that God appointed the same verb. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and save him from drowning. Now he has appointed a plant to shade Jonah from the heat. Evidently, the leaves or whatever he has made his booth out of uh, have withered in the heat, and now he needs something else to protect him. And so God brings this live plant with broad leaves to, uh, to sort of shade Jonah. And it says that Jonah's response, verse 6, is that he is exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, Jonah has been angry the whole book. The entire story is about Jonah, uh, Jonah's anger, really. And last week we saw that when, when we're angry, when Jonah was angry, it reveals something that we desire, something that we desire so, uh, you know, so intensely that if we don't receive it, we get angry, perhaps even angry with God as Jonah is. It is a, a frustrated desire. It is something that, uh, even a good thing that we can expect of someone or hope that will happen or demand that will happen, and when it doesn't happen, 
we respond uh, with frustration and anger. And we saw last week that, that anger can reveal sort of unfulfilled desires uh, in our heart. At least sinful anger reveals these unfulfilled desires. But now we'll see that whatever makes us exceedingly glad also can reveal our desires, even fulfilled desires. And so amidst all of Jonah's anger and his complaining in the story, the plant is the only thing he's happy about. There's just been tremendous response to his preaching in Nineveh, not happy. He has a calling from God to be a missionary to this foreign city, not happy. He is saved uh, from drowning, and he is uh, not happy, at least in the way it is expressed here. But when a plant grows up and shades him, he is really glad about this plant. Now, this is telling because in a moment we're going to see God's going to ask him about this inordinate joy that he has for this plant. Well, the next day what happens is the same God who appoints a plant now appoints a worm. So verse 7, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Now, when the sun rose, that is when the sun comes up all the way and it's hot, God appoints a scorching east wind and the sun beats down on the head of Jonah so that he is faint. So there's one day he's appointing the plant. The next day he appoints a worm uh, which eats the plant and kills the plant. And then there is this wind that blows through and it is hot. So here is Jonah sitting outside the city, uh, evidently hoping that God will bring some kind of destruction. And now uh, sitting, uh, he is, he's getting hot inside and outside. He's angry and he is a candidate for heat stroke at this point as the sun is beating down on his head. What is going on? What in the world? Why is God appointing a shade plant one day, a worm, and a wind the next day? Uh, All the same verb. God appoints a whale. God appoints a plant. God appoints a worm. God appoints a wind. What is going on? Well, God is trying to get Jonah's attention. God is trying to teach Jonah something. God uses the experiences of our lives to draw us to him, to be aware that he is at work. Ian Duguid on his in his book on Jonah says that God uses both mercy, the plant, and a trial, the scorching wind, to get Jonah's attention. How does having both mercies and trials in one's life encourage a person to draw nearer To God, he asks. That's a good question for us to ask. How is a blessing in my life, uh, how, how does that serve as a means to draw me nearer to God? And how does a trial in my life serve as a means to draw me nearer to God? The goal is for him to see God, to understand God, to to cease running from God, which he's essentially done the whole book, to cease running from God and run to God. So on the one hand, he loves the plant. It brings him comfort. God has given it to him for protection and security and safety, and it makes him exceedingly glad. But it ultimately makes him too glad because he has to have it. 
This mercy from God, this gift of God, becomes the thing he must have. That's why when it's gone, he says, it's better for me to die, verse 8, than to live. So important to him is having this precious plant, his precious given to him by God to shade, shade him, that it's so important that it's a life or death matter to him. If our happiness measures what our heart values, then his heart values comfort. This is what he, he, is, uh, he has cherished in the story. He values comfort. If, if there's some blessing or some mercy or some comfort that I must have, And without it, I have lost my purpose for living and don't want to go on in despair like Jonah. If there's something I must have and without it, I've lost my purpose for living, then that thing has become my purpose for living. It is Jonah's way that is his everything. It is Jonah's ideas. It is Jonah's uh, desire and plan for God's justice. It is Jonah's comfort that is everything to him. This is the thing that replaces God. He's not looking to God. He's enjoying the comfort, and when it's gone, he's ready to just die. But the story communicates to us very clearly, especially with the repeated verb, a point. The story teaches us very clearly that the same God who sends shade sends intense sun and heat, and we must hold on to him whatever he sends. Jonah is very different than another biblical character named Job. Job famously said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jonah says, the Lord gives and I am exceedingly glad. The Lord took away. I want to die. That's how Jonah responds. When the plant dies, his comfort is gone, and he returns to his anger with God. Listen, anger doesn't just go away. When we are angry, particularly with God, it can be masked during seasons of comfort, during seasons where we're excited about something or something is uh, you know, going our way. But anger just never disappears until it's appropriately dealt with, until we bring it before the Lord, before we ask his forgiveness and his help, before we gain his perspective, before we forgive, before we extend mercy to someone else. Anger just doesn't disappear. And for Jonah, it does not disappear. He's actually uh, increasingly angry, it appears. Perhaps he's even more angry because he can't figure out God's ways. God is appearing very inconsistent. One day he's providing shade. The next day he's removing the shade. And, And Jonah's probably left asking, God, I mean, what are you doing in my life? I don't understand this. God, do you bring mercy and blessings and comfort? Or do you bring trials? Yes. The answer is yes, God brings both for our good and to draw us to himself. I love how God continues to relate to Jonah with merciful questions rather than sort of harsh rebukes or harsh criticisms and judgments. Because what he says to him in verse 9 is, do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
We've heard this question before in verse 4. When he was angry that God had mercy on Nineveh, God says, verse 4, do you do well to be angry? He's asking, is this good that you're angry? Why are you angry? What's behind the anger? Look at, look at what's going on inside, Jonah. Why are you angry? Now he's saying, do you do well? I mean, is this healthy? Is this good that you are wanting to die because your plant died? Is this, what is going on, Jonah? Why do you have such an extreme response of despair to a plant that died? Now, in the first time, in verse 4, when Jonah's asked this question, he doesn't respond. This time, he, he absolutely, with self-justification, responds to the Lord. He says in, uh, in verse 10, I'm sorry, in verse 9, Yes, I do well to be angry. Should you be angry, Jonah? Yes, I should be angry. Angry enough to die. God, you don't know how much I have a right to be angry. I'm so angry, I want to die. And then from there, God responds in the last two verses of the entire book, and here we really get the big idea of Jonah's story. We close with sort of the grand takeaway of the whole narrative, and it comes uh, through a question from God. God points out that Jonah has pitied a plant, Now, we read this, and it just seems absurd, but none of us are out under the scorching sun beating on our heads and feeling faint, a borderline uh, heat exhaustion, heat stroke like Jonah. So that's where he is. Verse 10, God says, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you are pitying a plant. You didn't even plant a seed. You didn't water the plant. You didn't cultivate the plant. You didn't fertilize the plant. You did nothing for this plant. I mean, you had no investment in the plant. I mean, your emotional response is not commensurate with the investment you have in this plant. You've done nothing for the plant. It just showed up, and then it died. And, and, and what's, what's more, it was just like a one-day plant. So you're showing this incredible amount of sorrow for a plant that you neither planted nor took care of, and it only lasted for a day. You have a depth of compassion, Jonah, for a plant, God points out. It's a strong word he uses, pity. You pity the plant. The word here, pity, means to grieve. It's a strong word. It means to grieve over someone or something. It can involve broken-hearted weeping. It's that kind of depth of grief. God is saying, Jonah, you are emotionally crushed because of a plant. He's, He's pointing out something here for Jonah to see how absurd this is. God says, why are you angry with me? If you have compassion for a plant, should I not have compassion for people? This is what he says in verse 11. Should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which 
there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. They don't know their right hand from their left. Now, this is an idiom which means um, they are blinded, they're spiritually blinded, they're morally unaware. It's an idiom, they don't know their right hand from the left, that they are morally and spiritually unaware. God is saying, should I not have pity? And there's a really helpful point here for us to grasp. Should I not have pity over people that are spiritually blind, over people that are morally unaware? Now, because he says their right hand and they don't know their right hand from their left, he's not removing responsibility for them. And this is what's important to get. He's not removing responsibility. In chapter 1, verse 2, What it says uh, at the beginning is that God gives Jonah a calling, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the book opens with God saying, the people of Nineveh have committed evil acts, and it closes with him saying they don't know what they're doing. Both are true. And for us, sometimes this is hard for us to get our head around. God has compassion on people that are evil, that are willfully sinning. God still has compassion on them and points out that they don't know the full, uh, they don't know the full weight of their actions. There is a spiritual blindness. Culpable, responsible, yes. Don't fully know what they're doing at the same time, yes. They don't know how bad it really is. This is a balance that's really important to grasp if we're to understand God's heart of mercy, God's heart of compassion. The way it works in our world, very generally speaking, is that oftentimes progressives, people that are politically progressive, tend to emphasize compassion over personal responsibility, often muting personal responsibility and citing sort of environmental factors for someone's behavior. So there oftentimes is a compassion that is, that is, that is emphasized over personal responsibility. Conservatives tend to emphasize personal responsibility over compassion. Now, they'll be quick to say that this is the most compassionate thing to hold someone accountable, but it's often an imbalanced emphasis on personal responsibility. I'm happy to announce to you that God is neither a political progressive or a political conservative, but God, on the other hand, has deep compassion for people who are responsible for their actions. And we must have the same heart if we're to have the heart of God. God has compassion on people who are responsible for their actions. Listen, many of us, when we see somebody who has acted in a way that has brought consequences into their lives, our first response is, serves them right. That's not God's response. If God's response was, you got yourself into trouble, serves you right, everybody goes to hell. If God's heart is only having mercy on innocent victims but never showing mercy to anyone that's morally sinful, then nobody gets mercy. 
God says they don't know fully what they're doing. There's a cluelessness. There's a spiritual cluelessness. Don't know their right hand from the left. Shouldn't I have mercy on them? And by the way, Jonah, if you don't have mercy on them, could you at least have mercy on their cattle? That's where it ends. That's how bad off Jonah is. Weeping for a plant. So can we work our way up uh, in, in creation to a cow? Maybe you could have mercy on a cow and then we'll work our way up to humans who are created in the image of God. Men morally responsible and yet don't fully grasp the seriousness of their actions. True compassion, true pity feels for another person. Is there a place to call people to responsibility? Yes, verse 1, that Jonah goes to call them to responsibility. Jonah goes to tell them 40 days and you will be judged in destruction. Why does he do that? Because God is merciful and has compassion on these people. He wants them to repent. He wants them to experience his forgiveness. True compassion, true pity feels for another person. True compassion, true pity puts oneself in the place of another. This is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus is truly compassionate. He puts himself in the place of another. There's such a contrast here throughout between Jonah and the one who is greater than Jonah. Jesus says one greater than Jonah has arrived. Jesus refers to Jonah and says, as Jonah is in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. Jesus says that the story of Jonah points to him, but it points to him by way of contrast, ultimately. Jesus is very different. He's, when Jesus is outside the city and considering a city full of sinners, People who are rejecting God in the flesh, his response is different. In Luke 19, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at the end of his life, there's in the passage where there's the triumphal entry, it says that when Jesus drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. When Jesus comes to a, a city that is rejecting him, rejecting the Messiah, He weeps. Jonah is angry. Jesus is broken with compassion. Jonah is angry and wants to see sinners judged. Jesus is weeping for sinners and he will take their judgment upon himself. I love the way, again, in his book on Jonah, Ian Duguid phrases this. He says, Jonah is ready to die out of anger. Jesus is ready to die out of compassion. This is the heart of Christ for people. Were the people in Jerusalem responsible for their actions? Absolutely. Had they gotten themselves in trouble, uh, gotten themselves in trouble for uh, their own self-righteousness? Are they responsible for their self-righteousness, which leads them to reject Jesus? Absolutely. Are the people that crucified Jesus responsible for crucifying him? Absolutely. Yet what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Are they hating him? Yes. Are they evil? Yes. But there is still a blindness to, the, to fully what they are doing in the moment. This is compassion. Jesus, the God-man, he embodies Jonah 4.11. He lives out Jonah 4.11. Should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not have compassion on sinners? That's the whole reason Jesus comes. That is his entire life from start to finish. 
Over a hundred years ago, a theologian, a Princeton theologian named B.B. Warfield, he was a Presbyterian intellectual, and uh, he wrote an essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And what he did was uh, he looked at every emotion of Christ in the Gospels. So he read through the Gospels and sort of logged every response of Jesus. And, and this is what he concluded, that the most typical statement reflecting Jesus' emotional life in the Gospels is, he was moved with compassion. That was a fundamental, most common emotion, moved with compassion. The, the word compassion had the idea of from the gut, from the gut, that Jesus felt for people from the gut, and he acted to extend mercy to them. Should I not pity Nineveh, these people who are evil, these people who are opposed to the people of God, they're opposed to Israel. They've exacted tribute from Israel. They will ultimately invade Israel sometime later. Should I not have mercy on these people who are cruel, who are violent, who are opposed to believers? Should I not have mercy on them? Does this match your picture of God? A God who is compassionate. Does it it match your picture of God? Does it match your experience of God? Do you experience God as a God who is compassionate and merciful. Does this match your heart for others, particularly those who are, uh, by by their attitudes, their actions, their words, their lifestyles, very clearly opposed to God and perhaps even very clearly opposed to his people, the church? Does this match your attitude? Should God not have mercy upon them? Are you deeply concerned because people are living and walking around not knowing their left from their right spiritually? Does that burden you? Does that weigh on you? Or frankly, are you just pretty ticked off at people that think and act and believe differently than you? Or some people. In an us and them world, how do you view them? Because Nineveh is them. Jonah is part of us, the covenant people of God. Nineveh is the ultimate them with a capital T. And God says, should I not have compassion, have pity, have mercy on them, Jonah? That's the takeaway for the book, that God has compassion on people far from him. And as we experience that compassion personally, it is to transform our hearts so that we share that compassion for those far from God. I mean, we think about applying this, it's so important that we experience God's passion. Because when we experience God's passion, it is freeing. Chapter, I mean, verses 10 and 11 When he's saying to Jonah, I mean, it's kind of comical. Ultimately, Jonah, you pity a plant. Uh, I pity an entire city of people that don't know me. It's it's absurd. And so it's comical in the sense that it is absurd that that Jonah would be, that, that God would have to point that out. But when God points that out, he's not shaming Jonah. The goal is not to shame Jonah. The goal is to set Jonah free. 
He wants Jonah free. When Jonah is more concerned about a perishing plant than a perishing city of people, he's lost his bearings. He's lost his purpose. He's lost his calling. He's drifted from God's calling, and he is trapped in this anger. He's trapped in anger. He's wallowing in despair. He's in a prison of anger. He's in a prison of despair that he wants to die. It's that bad. He's lost reality. He's lost uh, God's character and nature. It's so far from his view that at the death of a plant, he says, I have no reason to go on. He's that far lost. His self-pity has led to despair, and God wants to restore him to say, Jonah, do you see the the contrast between how you feel about a plant and between how I feel about these people? Because if you get a vision for how I feel about these people, if you celebrate mercy for you, for us, as well as mercy for them, oh, you're going to be free. You are going to find a purpose. You are going to look around and go, look what God did in this city. You are going to be celebrating. You aren't going to be in a little booth or under a little plant or getting a sunburn and wanting to die. You are going to be dancing and celebrating what God is doing. I find that I experience the most joy when I have a vision of seeing people who are far from God meet him, and then when I engage with them in compassion. That's the freest I ever feel. It's the the greatest joy is to so celebrate God's grace and mercy and kindness to me that I actually, in moments, feel that for other people and act accordingly, extending grace and mercy, communicating good news. I love the way commentator Richard Phillips writes about this. When he was writing about this section and Jonah's response, he said, the way out of our self-consumed misery is to lift up our hearts to glory in the great scope of God's salvation, entering into his compassionate concern for the lost. Catch that. He's saying the way out of our self-consumed misery, the focus on me and what's my comfort and what am I getting and, and, and and opposing others. The way out of our self-consumed misery is, is entering into compassionate care for the lost. The most joyful and the most useful Christians are those with a passion for the gospel. They are also the ones who are growing in grace, their souls expanding as they are filled with excitement for God's mercy in the world. The expansive soul is the soul that is celebrating mercy in the world. What is Jonah's soul like? It's just like the shade plant. Jonah's soul has shriveled. The shriveling soul is the self-pitying soul. The shriveled soul is the self-righteous soul. The shriveling soul is the angry at God soul, the, the soul that is angry that God is showing mercy to someone else. The shriveling soul is the one that says, I know better than God, and I'm committed to my plans and will despair if I don't get my way. The expansive soul is the one that says, when God says, should I not pity Nineveh, we say, yes, may it be, Lord, may it be. I don't want to hold their sins against them, just as you have not held my sins against me. That's an expansive soul. 
a joyful soul that comes when we desire for others to receive mercy. God is mercifully trying to reorient Jonah with this comparison that he gives at the end. And that's why he appoints a fish, he appoints a plant, he appoints a worm, he appoints an east wind, because he's never giving up on Jonah. That's why he doesn't say, I'm done with you. That's why he just asks him these questions, these self-examining questions, so that Jonah will wake up to God's mercy. A vision of compassion for others, a vision of God's compassion for others, is, is an overflow of a vision for his compassion for us. Listen, the, st- the truth is, as we read the story, we are the Ninevites. When we read stories like this, we want to address, we want to identify with God. Oh, yeah, I'm like that. I'm compassionate. We can all, that's why we started the whole series talking about us and them, because we all have a them. It's a group of people. It's a person. There is some them in every one of our lives that we sort of distance ourselves from. Instead of saying it's all us and it's God and we want mercy for us, the sinners. But we are the Ninevites by nature. By nature, we do not know our right hand for, from our left. We forget that. We forget that. We get so accustomed to the things of God and to being a Christian. Listen, it's just really healthy to remember you didn't choose Jesus because you were more righteous than somebody else, because you were wiser than somebody else, because you were more likely to be moral than somebody else, because you were more discerning than somebody else. You were spiritually dead, and God had mercy on your cold, lifeless soul. That's the reality. And we must remember that. Instead of looking at someone else and say, how could they? How could they believe that? How could they act like that? How could they say that? Why are they like that? Serves them right. Instead of saying, man, thank you, Lord, you're not serving me right, that I'm not getting what I deserved. But you've shown mercy. Listen, we were running the other direction from God, and he reached out in mercy and grabbed us for himself. He had compassion on us. And this is the key to compassion for others. Yeah, but what if they're really bad? I mean, like, what if I look at them and say, they don't deserve forgiveness? Do you? Who am I to deserve forgiveness? I don't. God wants Jonah to see the absurdity of caring more for a plant than people, mourning the loss of personal comfort rather than mourning the loss of people. And we only get this when we get God's mercy to us, that God has been moved by compassion toward us, and he wants us to know it and to feel it and to daily live in the good of his mercy to us. We're going to close this service and this study of Jonah today by remembering and freshly experiencing God's mercy to us in the Lord's Supper. There is no greater expression of the mercy of, the, of God than than Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. It's the greatest picture of mercy. It's the greatest experience of mercy. God's compassion to us is seen uh, in God becoming man, coming to us. He didn't run from us. And he didn't just weep for us in pity, but he came to us. God, whole, uh, Jesus, holy God and holy man, come to us to give his life for us. He He died in our place. He rose for us.
and he did so to open our eyes to mercy. And we want to celebrate that mercy today. It's really my, my prayer that we would experience that. This whole study of Jonah has been about reorienting our hearts to the mercy of God so that we reorient our hearts uh, with, with compassion towards others, with mercy towards others. But we don't just start with feeling mercy for others or thinking about merciful thoughts towards others. We start with celebrating his mercy to us so that it's out of an overflow. It's, out of an, it's not a dry duty to show mercy to others. It's not a dry duty to communicate good news. It's an overflow of the good news we've received and the mercy we've received. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your unspeakable mercy to us. None of us deserve mercy. None of us earn mercy. None of us are likely to receive mercy based upon ourselves. Lord, we are the Ninevites. While our actions may not be exactly what their actions are, we spiritually did not know our left hand from our right hand. We were clueless. We did not understand that our actions were offending the holy God of the universe. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually blind. We were lifeless towards you. And yet you came to us and showed us mercy. And we encounter people all day, every day in our neighborhood, in the store, at our office or job site, as we go about our daily lives at the gym, at a restaurant, wherever we frequent, whatever we do, we are encountering people all day long that don't know their right from their left. And we pray that, Lord, as we receive the bread and the cup today, you would freshly impart a vision for mercy to us, that you have been merciful to us, the undeserving, that you had showered us with grace. And we pray that we would begin to look at others and desire, pray for and act in a way to communicate that mercy to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.